Samson, quite the character. We're in Judges chapter 15 this morning. Samson, one of the more well-known heroic type figures, known for his uh, exploits of strength, also known for his being deceived by the Philistine women. We won't get into Delilah this morning, but uh, she, she waits for us. Samson had his moments of victory, had his times when God would use him. But that describes a lot of God's people, doesn't it? I wish I could say I'm always obedient and willing to serve God, but uh, that would be untrue. When a person does wrong in the body of Christ, when a person sins within the body, there should be what we call church discipline. But church discipline, as I have seen in the, I don't know, since I've been a pastor, it's non-existent in today's world within the church. I have found it necessary in the past to confront people concerning open sin. And usually I will talk to that person and the results is they just simply change churches. <laughs> we don't have to listen to you. We're out of here. So let's read about Samson and his burning, actually burning of the fields and the crops of the Philistines. So turn with me to Judges 15 and we'll go from there. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shock and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, Since you would do such a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock at Edom.
Now the Philistines went up and encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi, area of Judah. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he had done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Adam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And they said to him, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hands, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he had came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him, and then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With this jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and he called the place Ramath Lehi. Then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given me this great deliverance by your hand and by your servant. And how shall I die? Now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he received. Therefore he called the name in Hakor, which is uh, in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the day of the Philistines. Samson, he had a principle that he lived by. Don't mess with me or you're going to regret it. I will take revenge upon you. And we looked last week. Samson, he felt remorse for killing the 30 Philistines to give their garments to his wedding guest, this change of clothing. And he's wanting to take revenge now for losing his wife by her father, to his best man. And we hear Samson say, This time I shall be blameless if I harm them. That indicates he had felt guilt about his former behavior. And we read in the last verse there, Samson ruled and judged over Israel 20 years, and for 20 years Samson was the man of Israel. Samson was clever, though. He was not only strong when the Lord's Spirit came upon him, he was clever. He poses his little riddles and does things like that. Uh, But how does one man, think about this, go out and catch 
300 foxes. It could have been jackals, because foxes and jackals are translated the same, same from the Hebrew into English. But foxes are known to be cunning. They're one of the most cunning animals there is. And Sam, Samson appears to act independently, and he captures 300 wild foxes. That had to be a feat in and of itself. And then he ties a torch between the tails of a pair of foxes, lights the torches, and sets the foxes on their way through the grain fields and the vineyards and so forth. And they promptly run through the fields, setting everything on fire, and they burn up, these foxes burn up the food supply of the Philistines for the coming year. Now, you don't want to do that to somebody who's ruling over you, and the Philistines ruled over Israel at this time. So the Philistines have a question. Who has done this? And they come to know that it's none other than Samson. And Samson has done this because his future father-in-law jilted him by taking his wife to be and gave her to another man. That's interesting in and of itself. The ex-wife had been previously threatened by her fellow Philistines concerning Samson's riddle. If you don't tell us the riddle that Samson posed to us, we're going to burn your house down with you and your father in it. But here we read that the leaders of the Philistine, they do the exact thing to Samson's ex, and they burn her and her father's house with fire. That's sort of ironic, you know. If you don't find the answer out, we're going to burn your house. They do find the answer out, they burn her house. <laughs> uh, fear can cause us to do and say a lot of things. But the thing that this woman has feared has come upon her. We call it perhaps a premonition. A premonition is nothing more than a fear of a coming disaster. And uh, sometimes premonitions can be used of God to give us warnings. A believer uh, can actually have a premonition and it can be what we call a gift of knowledge. God just simply showing us things that we otherwise would not know. Or it can be a gift of discernment, things that will come to pass. Years ago, I knew a young man in his late teens, early 20s, who would drink and drive. He was not a pleasant drunk. He was an out-of-control drunk. And one day when I'm talking to this young man, let's just, for instance, call him son. 
I told him, son, you were in jail for drunk driving. It just hasn't happened yet. Now, that can be a gift of knowledge or that can be discernment. It was shortly thereafter that I visited him in county lockup farm where he was being locked up for drunk driving. He had had an accident. He didn't hurt anybody, but he was there for drunk driving. As believers, we're not to live in a state of fear. We're not to be afraid of coming events. And sometimes the very thing that we're afraid of will come upon us in some degree just to show us that we have no reason to really be afraid of the thing that so perhaps terrifies us. Job, with all his calamities, and when they all came upon him, he had something to say. He said, the thing that I have feared has come upon me. And I believe this can be God's way of showing us, don't be afraid of the future. I'll take care of you. It can simply be, I believe, sometimes God preparing us for the future. Funny I would say that a month before national elections. I believe America is at a crossroads politically speaking, and I definitely feel that our way of life, our system of government, will undergo a severe change come November and when the new president is sworn in. And whoever that wins the election, there will be change here in America. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, he has conquered the known world in his area. He's conquered Israel. And he has went down and he's ordered all the young, intelligent men to be brought up to Babylon to be understudies in Babylon and to be advisors to the king. But Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. He wants his magicians, his advisors, he wants them to tell him what his dream was. Not interpret the dream, but he has a demand. Tell me what I have dreamed. Nebuchadnezzar, he's wise enough to realize if I tell my dream, they're going to come up with some ambiguous, you know, interpretation of my dream, and I won't know if that's truth or not. So Nebuchadnezzar, he will not reveal his dream to his advisors. But he tells his advisors, if you do not tell me my dream... I will cut you up in pieces and burn down your houses. Hmm. 
that would be an incentive to tell him the dream. This sends shockwaves through the ruling system there in Babylon. And these advisors, they plead with Nebuchadnezzar. No king has ever made this demand upon his counselors. But the edict of Nebuchadnezzar, it stands firm. And this edict goes all the way down in this chain of command to Daniel and his friends that have been taken up to Babylon. Let me read uh, a little bit of Daniel chapter 2. You may want to turn, turn there. Daniel chapter 2, 14 through 23. Arioch, Daniel's guard, has relayed the king's message to Daniel. In verse 14, Then the counsel and wisdom Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, And he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is this decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions that they might seek mercies from God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he, ch- and he changes the times and season. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Arioch, the captain of the guard, he's on a mission. He's about to start killing the wise men, the counselors of Babylon. Daniel goes before the king. It's a desperate time. King, give me a little time, and I will tell you your dream and its interpretation. Daniel has nothing to lose. He's got a death sentence upon him as well as the other counselors. And so he just says, hey, give me a moment, give me a little time, and God will show us what your dream's all about. Now, in this society, in Babylon, if you interpreted a dream, you were thought to have power to bring about that interpretation. So they tied the two together. But notice Daniel's boldness. King, give me and my friends a little time to seek God for the answer. 
and we will tell the king his dream. The king agrees to this, and he gives Daniel some time. Daniel and his friends, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they have what we would call an urgent prayer time. This is not a casual prayer. They now are seeking God for their very lives. Verse 19, and the secret of the dream was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Daniel and his friends, they have a response and they bless God for his mercies to them by revealing this. Daniel then gives testimony to God. Wisdom and might belong to God. God alone changes times and seasons. But hear this. And you may want to underline this in your Bibles. He removes kings and he raises up kings. This is God. God also gives knowledge and understanding plus wisdom. And it makes us, God's people, wise. If we hook into God and his wisdom, it makes us wise. Daniel goes on to praise God for making known to him the king's dream and its interpretation. But drop down to verses 27 and 28. I'll read two more verses. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. Daniel said, hey, all your advisors can't help you. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be the latter days. Your dream and the visions of in your head and on your bed were these. And then Daniel goes on to explain the dream and the vision. But Daniel points out to the king, your wise men, your astrologers, your magicians, the soothsayers, cannot answer your demands, king. It's interesting. These soothsayers, magicians, astrologers, they gain their wisdom from their master, Satan himself. But here's the thing. Satan does not know the future. All these, what we would call seers, these fortune tellers, they cannot see the future. In fact, they cannot even tell Nebuchadnezzar his past tense dream. God has not let them know that. In Isaiah, there's some... Passage that I find very fascinating. In Isaiah 44, God declares, He says, I alone am God. Besides me, there's no other God. And as God, I alone tell of things to come and bring about things to come. He alone is God. 
Do you realize God knows who wins the election in November? He knows who's going to be our next president already. And he's already doing things in their lives. But we, we in America, we don't really know who our next president will be. So, what is our behavior to be? We have a responsibility to be an informed, prayerful voter. I feel very strong on that. We don't have any excuse not to vote. I'm 72. Don't look at do it. No, I don't look a day over 69 and a half. <laughs> the most crucial election in my lifetime is this election coming up in November. We will have several Supreme Court justices appointed by the next president. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court sets the agenda and laws of our country. And let me give you some example. Roe v. Wade. You can now, in America, kill a baby in its mother's womb, and it is not a crime. It's a woman's choice. The court has ruled same-sex marriages are legal. Judge Roy Moore of Alabama removed from the bench because he withstood this. But here's one for the future. Euthanasia. Taking of a life, usually an elderly life, it is already legal in several states in the United States. You can legally put somebody to death as long as they're in agreement with it and it doesn't look like they'll ever recover. You can go ahead and take that life. Look for this killing of people to become a national law if the wrong person gets elected. You heard me announce we're having prayer at Panera Bread. You don't have to go to Panera Bread and meet with our little group to pray about our situation, but it doesn't hurt to agree with others in prayer. And there we are praying that God would heal America. We have this responsibility and duty to vote, but we also, as believers, as Christians, have a duty to be in prayer for our country. Daniel prayed with his three companions, and God answered in a mighty way. Second Chronicles 7.14, I know you're familiar with it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. What a promise. We don't have to look too deeply at America to see the need for God to forgive America for her sins. And we desperately need God to heal 
our land. Therefore, if the future election next month have you concerned, maybe they even have you a little fearful of who may be elected. Do something about it. We have an opportunity to do something about it. Pray. Ask God to forgive us and ask Him to heal our land. It's never wrong or inappropriate to pray. Be praying for God's forgiveness, for His healing to come to America. And then, regardless of the outcome of the election, you can rest assured that God has put into power, raised up who he wants to be president. Amen? Amen. Let me get you stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, we do. Daniel repented for his people. He repented for all of Israel. Lord, we don't know what effect that has in your kingdom, in your economy, if we repent for others' sins. But, Lord, we want to. We want to say, forgive us, Lord, for being sinful against you. Forgive us for breaking your statutes, your principles, in being disobedient to you, Lord. And as Christians, as believers, we ask you, Lord, to come, heal our land, restore us again to a nation that honors you, Lord. That's our prayer. That's what we desire. So, Lord, we want to be in agreement with what you want to do out of your mercy and kindness. So help us, Lord. Do a great work in America. We pray that you would not cast her aside too soon or before her time. But, Lord, we pray above all that you would be honored and blessed by us, your people. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.